Let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 20. We're going to cover a thousand years in about 20 minutes. <laughs> Revelation chapter 20, the millennial reign of Christ is the title of this uh, message and the title of this chapter. If you go through these first seven verses of Revelation 20, you'll count the number thousand years at least in seven verses. Millennium are six times in those seven verses. The millennium is uh, where we get that term. Uh, is a, a millennial is a thousand years, and so uh, those who interpret the Bible literally, uh, and we we gave that rule of thumb last week. When plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense. Literal interpretation. Those who take this chapter literally find that the meaning of this chapter is very clear. Those who say that the thousand years are just a number and it's symbolic of something else, they have more difficulty, more trouble in this passage. Uh, they will often say that the thousand years is a, is a number of ultimate perfection, 10 times 10 times 10. That is, the post-millennialists and the amillennialists believe that it's uh, symbolic. Well, there are other passages in the book of Revelation. Uh, in chapter 11, verse 2, talks about 42 months. In 11 verse 3, it's 1,260 days, which is the same three and a half years. In chapter 13 verse 5, in chapter 12 verse 6, we have those 42 months and 1,260 days. And so in those areas, uh, we take those, everybody takes those literally, so why not the thousand years? Um, John Walford says, if this chapter is taken literally, it is relatively simple to understand. However, because many Bible interpreters have rejected the idea that there will be a reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years after his second coming, this chapter has been given an unusually large number of interpretations, all designed to eliminate the literal millennial reign. This is so important, I think. Uh, I, I did another handout for you. There are actually four that we've had, I think, uh, in the book of Revelation, and so tonight's handout is going to be blue, okay? So on the table in the back lobby, if you've missed any of the other handouts, they're there, but uh, tonight's, uh, the millennial views, three of them, uh, are on that blue handout. Uh, just an overview. Post-millennialism is a view that says Christ will return post or after the millennium. But they say it's not a literal 1,000 years. Uh, they say that we're going through it right now. Things are going to get better and better, uh, and this world will eventually usher in the kingdom of God. We have a lot of our hymns that talk about that kind of thing, with, good and, uh, with deeds of good and kindness, the heavenly kingdom comes. Uh, so they're thinking, if we spread the gospel well enough, we'll, we'll convert the whole world and things will be better. The tribulation, they say, is, is happening in this present age. Well, if we go back and read what we read about the tribulation in the book of Revelation, when the trumpets sound, a third of the vegetation burns, a third of the sea turns to blood, a third of the waters are poisoned, an army kills a third of mankind, and then you get to chapters 15 and 16 and find those angels pouring out the bowls of wrath or the vials of God's wrath upon the earth. There's nothing in this present age that can compare to that kind of devastation. 
The biggest problem with postmillennialism is that things are not getting better. In fact, things are getting worse. And Peter wrote about that. Well, Paul wrote about it. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. In 2 Timothy 3.13, he says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So things are not getting better, things are actually getting worse. Then there's amillennialism that says there is no millennium. Ah, meaning the anti of whatever follows it. Amillennial, there's no millennium. So that is the thousand years. Again, it's not literal, it's all symbolic. They teach that the time of peace started actually when Jesus came. That was his kingdom. And that kingdom is simply the spiritual rule in the hearts of men. They don't think there will be a, a literal kingdom on earth. Uh, we're in the kingdom age right now. Satan, they say, is already bound. Probably the most serious uh, difficulty with the amillennial view is that it interprets the two resurrections, as you have your Bible open to uh, Revelation 20, uh, differently. Uh, it holds that the resurrection in verse 4 is of the souls of those who are beheaded is a spiritual resurrection. And they go to the very next verse uh, in verse 5 and they say, now that's a physical resurrection. But in both uh, verses, the same Greek word, zao, uh, for life, is, is used. And neither the amillennialists or the postmillennialists uh, make a distinction between Israel and the church. That's another difficulty. Under premillennialism, uh, sometimes it's referred to as kiliism, from the Greek word kilios, which mean, means a thousand. The, 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 the emphasis is that the book of Revelation is literal and takes place in the order that it's written, especially in Revelation 19 and 20. The return of Christ is in chapter 19, followed by the binding of Satan for a thousand years, and the first resurrection of the saints to reign with Christ for a thousand years is in chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. Now, when Satan is released, he'll lead a, a battle of those whom he deceives against Christ. And uh, the, uh, the devil will be defeated at that time. That's, we'll see that tonight in verses 7 through 10. And the final judgment takes place, uh, verses 11 through 15, followed by a new heaven and a new earth. And that's going to be in chapter 21. So these are the three major views. Let's do a quick overview of what the Old Testament prophets told us about the millennial. What was Israel looking forward to when they think of a millennial kingdom of Christ? I'm going to give seven points. We're going to go very quickly. Uh, this is all the front porch of the house, okay? This is the preparation for the, the verses that we'll look at. But um, So you might want to just write, jot down the seven points and then... Perhaps some of the scripture references, I'll try to read some of them. Not, it's not a, uh, an exhaustive list of all the millennial uh, references in the Old Testament, but it will give us uh, uh, support for those major seven points. First of all, number one, it is a time of the universal reign of Christ. He will reign over all, okay? That's prophesied in Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Again, Psalm 2, verses 7 through 9. 
So it's, it's prophesied. It's a, a, a fulfillment of Daniel's prophetic image. That's in Daniel chapter 2, verses 34 and 35. You're familiar with that image. We've talked about it before. In verse 34, it says, Thou sawest till a stone that was cut without hands smote the image upon his feet that were iron and clay and brake them to pieces. And so those kingdoms of the, of the earth are going to be finally destroyed by this stone. You get back down into the, the end of verse 35. It says, And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And when you look at the mountain in these passages of the Old Testament scripture, the mountain was speaking of a kingdom. So that's Daniel 2, 34 and 35. Also prophesied in Micah, chapter 4, at the very beginning, verses 1 and 2. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us his ways." And we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And that's Micah 4, 1 and 2. And then Zechariah 14, verse 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Point number two on the Old Testament prophecies of the millennium. It, there will be some geological changes the face of the earth will look differently than it does now. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, and you can also put verse 8 along with that, Zechariah 14, 4 and 14, 8. Let me just read the, the, four, the verse 4. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove to the north, and half of it toward the south. If you've ever been to Jerusalem and seen the Mount of Olives there, uh, to the west is the Mediterranean Sea, to the east is the Dead Sea. And what will happen in that day, in verse 8 it says, and, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. The Mediterranean and the Dead Seas will be connected by this flow of fresh water that comes from Jerusalem. The terrain will be level, making travel more easy. Uh, in Isaiah 40, verse 4, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So geological changes on the earth. Third, there will be changes in humanity. We will have longer life. In Isaiah 65, verse 20, there shall be no more hence uh, an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die in hundred years old, but the sinner being in hundred years old shall be accursed. So the only way to die in the millennium is when you outwardly rebel against the king of kings, who is Jesus Christ, and ruling there. Um, no sickness, no deformities in the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 29, 18, Isaiah 33, 24, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. Let me just read that passage. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, 
and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. There will be a population explosion. Zechariah 8, verses 4 and 5. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall yet be old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his staff in his hand for every age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. Temptation will not be as strong. Satan is going to be bound for that thousand years. We'll read that in our text tonight. And God will rule in righteousness. Number four, there will be changes in the animal kingdom. Most of us are familiar with these kinds of verses. Wild animals will be tame. One of those verses, Isaiah 11:6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. Fifth, there will be changes in agriculture, in farming. Plants will be more productive. Isaiah 27, 6 is one of the verses there. Another, Amos 9, 13. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed. The ground is going to be so productive that they can't keep up with its growth. And the mountain shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. Number six, there will be national changes. Israel and Judah will be one nation, Jeremiah 3.18. The new covenant of Israel will be fulfilled, Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Israel will be exalted over the Gentile nations, Isaiah 14, 1 and 2. Fourth, uh, I'm sorry, we're almost at seven, aren't we? Wow, we were going fast. We're doing good. We're going to get you out in time tonight. Uh, fourth, the millennial temple will be built. The sacrificial system will be reinstated. Isaiah 56, 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. The feasts that we're reading about in Leviticus in the Old Testament will be reinstated. Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that every one of them is left of all the nations which came to Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Last, there will be spiritual changes. There will, it will be a time of holiness, Psalm 47, 7 and 8. A time of joy, Isaiah 12, 1 and 3. Um, 1 through 3, a time of truth, Isaiah 16, verse 5, of peace, Isaiah 2, 4, of prosperity, Ezekiel 34, 26 and 27, of righteousness, Isaiah 61, 11, of worship, Isaiah 66, 23, of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah 59, 19 through 21, and of fullness, full of, of the fullness of knowledge, Habakkuk Chapter 2, verse 14. Okay, let's take out a half sheet of paper, and I'm going to have you write all those verses as a quiz. Let's go to our text now, Revelation chapter 20. That was what Israel was looking forward to. This is what the prophets were telling them, what the millennial kingdom would be like. It was a real kingdom. It was not a spiritual kingdom. Christ would rule from Jerusalem. Jerusalem. 
who will rule with a rod of iron. That's something that Israel is still looking forward to. Now let's go here to Revelation 20, verses 1 to 3. I think the best title for these three verses is that Satan will be cast into a bottomless pit. Let's read about that. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed for a little season. It's important to note that the chapter starts with that little word, and. It's K-A-I in Greek, kai, and it's a word that tells us the things that follow that word are in chronological sequence. That's crucial because, again, the millennium takes place in chapter 20. That's where we are. And it's after the second coming and after the destruction of God's enemies, which we saw in chapter 19, all connected with that word and. So it takes place after what happened in 19. In verse 1, there's this appearance of the angel. I saw an angel come down from heaven. He's from heaven. That, that is, he's one of God's angels. God is the one who has sent this angel and empowers him to do the job, the task that he's asked to do. He has the key to the bottomless pit. If you have a key to one of the cars out in the parking lot, that tells me that's probably your car. You have the authority to start that car, to fill it with gas, you pay the insurance, it's your car. This angel has the key to the bottomless pit. He has the authority to lock up or to release anyone in that pit, that abyss. He also has a great chain in his hand. We talked before about all the great things in Revelation. This is one of them, a great chain. Notice the actions of the angel, verse 2. Five things are mentioned that he does. First, he laid hold on the dragon. Note the names of this dragon. We, he, the Lord wanted John to make sure we knew this identity. Who is this dragon all about? He's called the old serpent. Old. He is a created being, but he's been around for a long time. He's a serpent. The word is ophus. He is the sly, the cunning snake. He took that form of the serpent in the garden. So he's the old serpent. He's also called the devil. The word is diabolos. It means a false accuser, one who slanders. Similar to the next word, Satan. The word Satan is the accuser. We read about his work, uh, read about it back in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. But for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Satan loves to do that. He loves to go into God's presence and say, did you see what Hurley did this week? <laughs> he is the accuser of the brethren, and we stand forgiven by the blood of Christ. But he's called here the old serpent, the devil, and Satan. And notice what this angel does. Secondly, not only does he lay hold of the dragon, he bound him for a thousand years. Now again, the amillennialists say that this is talking about what Jesus did to Satan when he came to earth, earth the first time. 
the first advent, born in Bethlehem, living 30 years on the earth. But throughout scripture, Satan is seen actively engaged in warring against men's souls. Believers are warned in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He is on the prowl now. And so he is not bound at this time. Dr. James M. Gray said, if Satan is bound today, it must be a terribly long chain. <laughs> he is on the prowl. Those who do not hold the, liberal interp the literal interpretation mock the idea that a chain could actually restrain a spirit. This is what Dr. Custer says, Stuart Custer. He answers their ridicule. God who can create a spirit can also create something that can bind a spirit. And we're not thinking of anything metallic. <laughs> He cast him into the bottomless pit, his third action. The, the bottomless pit here is, the, the, the Greek word is abusas, the abyss. Again, bus is a depth, um, uh, the deep, and then with the letter A in front of it, the, the depth without uh, measurement, okay? Uh, it's too deep to be measured without depth. He shut him up, number four, that is, uh, the access or escape to the pit is closed. And last, he put a seal upon him so that he wouldn't deceive the nations anymore until the end of the thousand years. He is sealed in this pit, this abyss. There's no way out. And so Satan, for all the thousand years of the millennium, will not be able to tempt anyone. He'll be released to deceive those who have inwardly rebelled against Christ and his kingdom, but not outwardly. If they rebel outwardly, they'll be, there will be a plague, they'll be, uh, they'll be killed. It's interesting that the millennium does not have, uh, the, the, the people who are there in the millennium will not be attacked by Satan, and yet people will still have that rebellious heart. Saints will be reigning with Christ. That's our title for verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark of the beast upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. These are the saints of all ages that will be reigning in the millennium. In verse 4, John says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. They are made up of the Old Testament saints. Daniel 7, verse 27. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under his whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. This is written in the Old Testament. This is written by Daniel. 
whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So the saints of the Most High are the Old Testament saints. They're also made up of saints during the church age. They're sitting upon thrones. Judgment is given to them. This is the promise that Jesus made to his disciples. And those disciples are the foundational men of the church, the church age. Read Luke chapter 22, verses 29 and 30. And I appointed unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me. Jesus is talking to the disciples. That ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So believers of all ages, Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. Oh, and let's not forget the tribulation saints. John sees that on another group, uh, who are those that were martyred during the seven-year tribulation. You see it right after that colon in verse 4. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. John reminds us why they were killed. Because of their testimony for Jesus. The word testimony, remember, in the Greek is martyria. The noun is uh, martyria, the verb martyreo. These are martyrs. That's their testimony. That's their witness for Christ. We believe him so much, we're willing to die for him. Also, they died because of the testimony and because of the word of God. They believed God's word. They stood firm on God's word, and it took them to the death. They had not worshipped the beast or his image, it says. They had not received the mark of the beast on their forehead or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And so those are the ones who will be reigning with him. And then we come to verse 5. The rest of the dead were raised after the thousand years were finished. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. That's the first resurrection. And he said, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath, has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the rest of the dead are those unbelievers of all the ages who have died. They'll be raised from the dead to stand before Christ at a judgment called the Great White Throne Judgment. We'll study that as we get to the end of Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. And if you look down and just spoiler alert, get down to verse 14 at the very end, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is what death? The second death. Okay, so they will be punished forever and ever, an eternal death, not annihilation. It will never end. John calls the resurrection of all Christians the first resurrection. You might want to write this in your notes. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse, verse 39. And we'll read verse 40 as well. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Those who have, dep- have a part in the first resurrection are believers. They are called here blessed and holy. 
The second death has no power over them. Why? Because Jesus said all who trust him for salvation will have everlasting life. John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Verse 6 at the very end. But they, those believers of all ages, shall be priests of God, and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's exactly what the 24 elders had prophesied back in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10. And has made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Hallelujah. Won't that be a glorious time? Well, our last point tonight, Satan will be loosed to deceive the nations, verses 7 through 10. And when the thousand years are expired, that's the last mention of the thousand years, that's number six, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about. And the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. And they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. When Satan, at the end of this thousand years, is loosed from that pit, that abyss, he wastes no time rallying an army that will attack Christ for one last time. He immediately goes out to deceive nations from all quarters of every part of the earth. Where does Satan go to recruit this army? Well, there'll be a population explosion. How how does he get that many people? It's as the sands of the sea, and at the end of verse 8, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Again, there'll be a population explosion during the millennium. Satan will gather this army from that. No one will die of natural causes during the millennium. The only death will be punishment for that, those who outwardly rebel against Christ. We saw that in Isaiah 65:20, the child shall die being 100 years old. These are descendants of those saints who survived the tribulation. Those who populate the, the, the kingdom, the, the earth during the millennium will be those who survive the tribulation. Bob Shelton, he's been here before to preach in this church, and he wrote a little book called God's Prophetic Blueprint. It's in our library. It might be even in our bookstore. But he reminds us that there were three times when everyone on earth was a believer. First of all, Adam and Eve at creation. Secondly, Noah and his family after the flood. And last, the redeemed who survived the tribulation and began the millennium. He writes, It should be noted that Adam's children were sinners. Noah's descendants turned from God. And someday children born in the kingdom will be totally depraved, and like all Adam's children, will need to come to Christ for salvation. How are people saved in the tribulation time? Same way they are now. How will they be saved in the millennium? Same way they are now, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by faith in him. Gog and Magog are mentioned here. They're the enemies that uh, were prophesied by Ezekiel um, to rise up in in battle at at the Battle of Armageddon. 
Some Bible students say Gog is the ruler and Magog is the, the people or the place. This is not the same battle as described at Armageddon at the end of the tribulation. The battle of Armageddon is the one prophesied in Ezekiel 38 and 39. The bat, this battle is a thousand years later. Ezekiel says that Gog and Magog come down from the north. It's where Russia would be if we were to look at our, our map today. The armies of this battle are gathered from all the quarters of the earth. So there's a different place there as they're referred to. I think it's probably like Babylon. It's used several times in scripture, but it's referring to God's enemies. Uh, also, the hosts of Ezekiel are buried in the mountains, the enemies of God, after that battle. The hosts of this battle are devoured by fire from heaven. So it's a different battle. Even in the perfect kingdom, ruled by the king of kings and the lord of lords, people rebel. I often think, how can that happen? How, how can they not believe Listen to what William Host wrote, The Visions of John the Divine. He wrote this in 1932. The golden age of the kingdom will last a thousand years, during which the righteous will reign, and peace and prosperity universally enjoyed. But this will not entail universal conversion, and all profession must be tested. Will they not have radically changed for the better and become, alter, uh, and become, by the altered conditions of life and the absence of satanic temptation, children of God and lovers of his will? Alas, it will be proved once more that man, whatever his advantages and environment, apart from the grace of God and the new birth, remains at heart only evil and an enmity with God. People say, well, if we can just change someone's environment, we can improve them. We can change their heart. God has to change the heart. And he can only do that with the new birth. And so this is how people will still rebel. This is where Satan, who is the deceiver, will gather his armies. In verse 10, we read the final defeat of Satan. Satan will be cast down into the lake of fire. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. We saw that at the end of verse, uh, chapter 19. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. So lake of fire and brimstone, the name brimstone here is sulfur. That's where the beast and the prophet, false prophet are. Again, they've been tormented a thousand years longer than anyone else in the lake of fire. Satan will be tormented day and night forever. We have to be careful on the places that we visit on, uh, for, for theological um, truth on the Internet. I visited a website recently that I thought was good at first, biblestudy.org. It's run by somebody in Farmington Hills, but he's seriously wrong on some of the major Bible doctrines. He says that there will be a day in the future when Satan will be annihilated. That is, he won't have an eternal punishment. He teaches that, that, that punishment in the lake of fire will end. 
He also teaches that the great white throne judgment, those brought back to life, will have their minds open to understand the Bible. Revelation 20.12 is his reference there. And they'll have the opportunity to repent of their sin and accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, receiving God's Spirit. Well, the eternal punishment of Satan is a biblical doctrine clearly evident in Scripture it's been held by historic Christianity, both post-millennial writers and premillennial writers, post-mill, Hodge, Strong, Warfield, premillennialists, Schaefer, Pentecost, Walvard, Ryrie. They all defend the text of Revelation 20:10 that we just read. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, come to him in faith today. There will not be a time when a person dies without trusting Christ as his Savior that he will be given a second chance. You have the opportunity today. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Trust him as your Savior. If you're a believer, live for him. Serve him. Tell others about him and exalt him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we would ask today that as we see the, the events that you've unfolded for us to read and to understand, that we will be changed in our hearts and we will have a greater burden to tell the lost about the Lord Jesus Christ. They will have a greater boldness realizing that eternity is forever and there will not be another opportunity if a person dies without Christ. And so I pray that you would help us to be good evangelists. And I pray that as believers, we will exalt you throughout all our days. We won't wait until that day when every tongue shall give you glory. We'll exalt you with our lives and with our lips until we see you face to face. And then we'll go into eternity continuing to praise and exalt you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.